have in my hand the powerful word of God. Changes lives, heals broken hearts, can save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now reach over and hug your neighbor and let them know that they're loved. Would you do that right quick? Even if they don't know they're loved, make them feel like they are. Hallelujah. On the back table are, are black wristbands. In the black wristbands, we want everyone to take one. Uh, I know you may not like wearing black wrist, wristbands, but it's a great uh, reminder, and that's what you wear it for, is to remind you about the overflow. On one side of the wristband, it says overflow, and on the other side of the wristband, it says River Oaks Church. Because it's important that we as a church develop the overflow encounter with God. And as we encounter God, it ought to overflow in our lives, through our lives, to other people. And so I would encourage you in these next uh, three Sundays, we're going to study about worship. What does real worship look like and how does that affect us? Today we start with the upside of worship, which is praise. Oftentimes we determine worship to be what these guys do up here on the stage for us. How many of you believe that that's worship, what's going on up here on the stage as we sing those songs and all that stuff? Well, good, good. That's a part of it. How many of you believe that worship also is when we open the Word and do what we're doing right now at this point? Any of you? Okay. How many of you believe that worship also is a time when you are just quiet before the Lord, no, no distractions, and you're listening to the prompting of the Holy Spirit? How many of you think that's worship? You see, worship encompasses so many things, doesn't it? It's not one piece to this piece and this piece and this piece. It's all of it. It's your encounter with God and how you respond to that and what overflows in you because of that. Now, I don't know about you, but Friday night, I had some overflow. I'll wait for you to catch up to me. I had some overflow. God answered my prayer. No. I only know when he answers my prayer at 1030 on Friday night. But it was exciting to watch and be a part of something happening. Uh, I love what Jeff posted on Facebook. He said, 10 years I've been removed from Jinx High School. He said, but it still thrills me to hear the union crowd hushed when Jinx scores a touchdown. <laughs> of course, we have one of the, the running backs coach is in our church here, and we won't give him too many accolades, but wow. There was overflow going, brothers and sisters. If you're an OU fan, there was some real overflow going yesterday. They finally showed up to play, didn't they? If you're an OSU fan, you were biting your fingernails, but had a little bit of overflow. And I didn't even check on TU because they probably lost it the last play anyway. So it doesn't matter. Oh, they won. <laughs> they play a high school team. But the real season started Thursday night. New Orleans won. But the best part of my whole that whole game, watching that game, was the focus they put on the front line because that, that's my area. 
I wasn't a running back, you understand. And when they showed that big old guy, that left guard, and how he was just taking out that whole line. Did you see that? Any of, the, any of you see that? And I got to thinking to myself, if they'd have paid me $50 million, I could have done the same thing. All right. Uh, enough of that. What comes to mind when you think about God? A.W. Tozier wrote this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You see, when God's name is mentioned, when you think of God, you need to instantly know something's coming out of you into something else. Because that's the essence of our relationship and our overflow. In 2006, Baylor University did a study on Americans and their evolving views about God. Take a listen to this. 5% are atheists. 16% believe in a distant God who is neither involved with us nor inclined to be angry. 24% believe in a critical God who will show his displeasure by punishment in the hereafter. 31% believe in an authoritarian God who is very involved in our lives and apt to be angry when we don't do what he wants us to do. 23% believe in a God of goodwill who is not inclined to be angry at all. <laughs> Another study in 2007 by the George Barna group, they found several interesting aspects of Americans' belief about God. 3% believe that there are many gods, each with different powers and authority in America. 4% believe that everyone is, good, is God, that everyone is God. 7% believe that God is a state of higher consciousness that a person can achieve. 8% believe that God is the total realization of personal human potential. 69% believe that God is the all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect creator that rules the world today. And I'm so glad to hear that. That's the kind of country I want to live in. I'd like to kick that up to 100%. I believe he's that way. But you know, if 69% believe that, why don't they show it more? Why don't they show it more? It seems that our concept of God is changing and it's exactly where we find the prophet Isaiah in our text today in chapter 6. Open those Bibles. Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to be spend a little bit of time there. Because Isaiah sees something. He sees a vision and he sees the Lord. And oh my goodness. And it parallels. There's three observations I want you to take away today that parallel today. The first, con the first is a concept of God was devolving into the national conscience. You have to flip back to chapter 5 and verse 13 where we find these words. So my people will go into exile far away because they do not know me. Those who are great and honored will starve and the common people will die of thirst. Well, that sounds strikingly familiar, doesn't it? The second concept that we see paralleling today is that God's people had lost their worship and wonder and awe of God Worship had become reduced to mere rituals. In chapter 3 and verse 8, we see this. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their actions are against the Lord to rebel against His glorious presence. The third concept that parallels today that Isaiah was witnessing in his time 
was the national moral conscience declines in response to a diminished understanding of God. Chapter 5 and verse 20 says this, What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. Boy, it sure looks like us, doesn't it? <laughs> you don't think so? Open thine eyes, brothers and sisters in Christ. Open your eyes. Begin to read. Begin to listen to what people are saying. So Isaiah writes to call a nation back to God by calling God's people back to a higher view of God. We will deeply worship when we begin to see God as He is. We've lost that wonder, that awe of God. That out of all the universe, He's picked this speck. His, he calls us His people. Wow. Remember when Mark Barrier was here and he talked about that one sun that they have found in the solar system and our earth there would be 200,000 of our earths fit inside the one star that they found. 200,000 of these? Is that not awesome? And yet God sent His Son to that little speck so that you and I could have a relationship with Him. Woo! That's incredible. Most commentators consider this text in Isaiah 6, Isaiah's call to ministry, and, and I certainly can see that. But I believe it's more than just a calling. It's a vision. It's a vision of God. And you and I need to capture or recapture that vision of God and our worship and our praise and how important that is. Isaiah was... Like the men in a dungeon during the Middle Ages, they would get each other up on their shoulders till the top one could look through the little slit in the wall to actually see light. And then when he would come down off of the shoulders, they would say, What did you see? What did you see? That's the way Isaiah is now. He's being drawn into the presence of Almighty God. And we want to know. What did you see? What did you see? Because they were in such darkness. Isaiah had this unique vision. And he tells us. So what did he see? Well, he saw, I think, three things. First of all, he saw God's gracious self-revelation. And to further define that, he he that is God desires to have a relationship with us. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6 and underline the phrase, I saw the Lord. Ooh. Can you wrap your mind around that for a minute? I. Can you imagine being in a dark dungeon? <coughs> Isaiah has looked and you ask him, what you see? And he goes, eh, 
I saw the Lord. <laughs> You're going, okay, that's it. How do you think Isaiah would have said it? I think he would have fallen to the ground and said in a whisper, I saw the Lord. Because you see, that's what happens when we come into the presence of God. It forces us to see ourselves. And we don't like the picture. Amen? When we say self-revelation, it, it, we, we simply mean His disclosure of Himself. God's self-disclosure is about relationship. And that experience reminds me of a few things. Number one, God initiated the relationship with us. Isaiah didn't initiate the vision. God did. God sought out Isaiah. And why would He do that? Because God desires a relationship with us and He's revealed Himself not only to Isaiah, but to us in three different ways. First of all, by His handiwork, His creation. In Romans 1, 19 and 20, it says, What can be known of God? God has shown it to them from the creation of the world, His invisible attributes and His eternal power and divine nature. You cannot operate without understanding that God is there. I had a gentleman come by this morning right before church. I always think it's interesting when they come here right before church to see the pastor when they know I have to preach in 10 minutes. Well, this gentleman came by only to tell me that God told him to come by to bring a prophetic word to me. Years ago, I would have, I would have slapped him upside the head and said, get out of my office, I ain't got time for you. But listen here, if he believes God was bringing a prophetic word through him to me, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen. He shared with me. I said, can you stay with us and worship? He said, nope, i got to go talk to another preacher. So he's heading out to go talk to another preacher. Isn't that interesting? But he has been carrying this burden with him for weeks. He said, I had to come find you, and I had to tell you this. Now, why is it that God's going to find this little old church on this little old corner? Why is he going to do that? Because he wants to encourage all of us. He wants to encourage all of us. Because see, if God's Spirit is prompting men outside our church to come and bring prophetic thoughts to us, then He must be wanting us to do something great for His kingdom. You should have shouted amen on that. I'll pause a minute and let you do that. <laughs> oh, sad when i got to bring it out and drag it out of you. The knowledge of God through nature is open and available to anybody. Who will seek Him. When somebody says they don't believe in God, take them out and show them a leaf. Better yet, have them hold up their thumb like this. All of you got one of these? Hold them up. Now, you might have had it cut off for some reason, but maybe hopefully you still got one. Either hand will work. Now, I want you to turn and look at it. Handsome looking thumb, isn't it? Here's the, what's important. I want you to look. put your thumb beside the person next to you. Do they look the same? Nope, they're not. You know why? Because Psalm 139 says, You were fearfully and wonderfully made. I formed you in your mother's womb, God says. So guess what? That's the only one you got. And that's the only one that there is in the whole world. 
Why do they want your thumbprints on anything? Because nobody else has one like this. You want to steal somebody's identity? You got to cut this off. You got to paste it on yours. Then you got to make it work. But you can't hold, put yours down there and it'd be a direct copy. Even if you're identical twins, they're going to be different. That's God. That's God. That's God. It's easy to say he isn't here, but he's here. The second way that he shows us is through his word. Scriptures teach of specific things that God teaches us and has about God, such as his names, his characteristics, his mercy, his purposes. But knowledge was given to foster a relationship with God. Third way he reveals himself is through his son. In John 14, 9, Jesus said, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Paul then later in Colossians 1, 15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Well, who initiated the coming of the Son of God? It was God the Father. He sent Jesus. I've mentioned it before, but I would encourage you to do it again, to get on YouTube today and look up Carmen. C-A-R-M-E-N, space, the champion. And, and watch that video. Listen to it. You've got, if you've got loud speakers, crank it. That's one of those songs. I very rarely say crank it. Crank it. Because it is a powerful song. Carmen caught, captured that thing years ago. But I'm telling you, it is awesome. It was back when the Rocky movies were big and, and popular. It's kind of on the same theme. And, oh, it's, it's just powerful. But God's the one that's sinning to come and be in relationship with us. The second thing about that relationship is that God invites us into that relationship. Chapter 6 and verse 8 says this, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? What did Isaiah say? Beats me. Man, I don't know. I've served for years. I'm going to take a break. Well, I don't know. I can't talk. I can't. I've never talked before. Who will I send? Isaiah says, well, I'll tell you what. I've watched him. Man, he's got something. like a house of fire. You better turn him loose. Finish the verse. What did Isaiah say? All of you say it one more time. When you were playing football or baseball or any kind of sport or just anything you've been involved in and somebody needed somebody to go in and the coach would say, I need a tight end. If you were tight end and you wanted to play, what would you do? I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. No, not if, not if we're following the way the world thinks. I need a tight end. Well, somebody else would be on. Well, we got four of them, so I, somebody else go. I'm telling you, show enthusiasm, show initiative, let God know that you really want him, let God know you want that relationship. See, husbands and wives have problems in life, in their relationship because they forget to show each other that they love each other. We do it up front, but after the fact, we don't do it much. We got to do more of it. 
fact, you've got to work harder after the fact than you do before you get them. <coughs> and then God illustrates his love for us by this self-disclosure that he gives us. We only know what we know about God because he wants us to know it. But what does he want to know? He wants us to know that he loves us. One commentator said it this way. Let's suppose an artist sent you a picture of himself that he had painted. The picture would tell you something about him, give you a glimpse of his knowledge and ability. But if he sent you a long descriptive letter explaining his innermost thoughts and feelings, you would begin to feel like you really knew him. And finally, if he decided to send you his son and who possessed the same features as he and was like him in ability and character, this would reveal the father to you even better. That's happened for you and me. That's the relationship that God wants with us. The second thing that Isaiah is trying to teach us here is that God has, shows us great sovereignty or shows His great sovereignty. He deserves our adoration and our praise. In verses 1 through 3, find the verse that says, He saw the Lord doing what? Sitting on a throne. Sitting on a throne. God's people need to rediscover the wonder of God. Warren Worsby, great preacher, great writer, said, The church today is imperiled by what it thinks it understands. To say it differently. Our understanding of God has, has fallen off in the face of competing interests. We're not as hungry for God as we used to be. We've got too many things pulling us away. Sports on Sunday. Driving me absolutely nuts. They have no concept of what they're doing to the spiritual depth of these children. I love sports. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not trying to beat you up because you got your kid involved in sports. But there has to be a priority drawn, folks. Spiritual development is critically more important than kicking a ball through a goal. Trust me. Because one injury, you're done. <laughs> one injury and you're through. That's Joe Theismann. One injury and you're done. Oh, I know it's important. Boy, they got to earn scholarship money. Oh, yeah, I got you. What percentage of kids come out of high school and go to college? Very few. What percentage go out of college into the pros? Even fewer. Even fewer. But how many people can be led to Christ through the influence of an athlete? Thousands. Thousands. I love the Gatorade commercial where it shows Peyton Manning kneeling in prayer in the middle of the locker room. That tells me a lot about Peyton Manning because it's not fake and phony with him. It's real. So many of these guys are strong Christian people. And they don't, they're, not, they're not ashamed of it. But I think one of the best things that made that game Friday night fun to me was what happened before the game ever started. And if you were there early enough, both teams, both teams met at the midfield. Chris Kaiser, the Northeast Oklahoma FCA coordinator, stepped in the middle and led them in a brief devotion and a prayer for both teams. That's over 200 young people in midfield, Union Tuttle Stadium, giving God glory. 
Hey, buddy, that don't just happen. Oh, public school now, we can't do that. Well, we just did, glory to God. Thank you, Union, for standing up for that. Thank you, Jinx, for standing up for that and letting them do it. You try to stop God. He'll find a way. He'll always find a way. He'll find that remnant, and he'll, and he'll use them. I hope you're it. I hope you're the one. I hope he reaches out to grab you. But we've got to recover worship. And when we recover worship, then we're going to see, as Isaiah did, that not only was he sitting in his throne, but he was high and lifted up. Dallas Holmes sang a song, I saw the Lord. If I hadn't promised Kayla to sing that one, I was going to sing, I saw the Lord today. That one, I reached down and grabbed your toes. and <laughs> It's a powerful song. Another good YouTube search today. But notice the attributes that Isaiah mentions about God. It says His throne reminds us that God is all-powerful. Well, what, was his, what, what is He sitting on the throne of over? Well, he's, he's over everything. Over the entire universe. But that throne reminds us of power and authority. Secondly, He said His train filled the room. Reminds us of God's immenseness. How big is God? He's huge. Is He big enough to handle your problem? Oh, I think so. But do you? But do you? Look at He says, then His testimony. He reminds us that God is holy, holy, holy. His Lord God Almighty. In Revelation, the angels are still singing that song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That hymn, How great Thou art, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds Thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, Thy hands throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art. How great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art. How great the number one gospel song that's ever been written and ever will be written is that one right there. Oh, there's a, there's a lot of tremendous music out there. But none have the impact that this song does. I can start singing this song a cappella, and boy, people just boom. There's very few that don't know that song. Hallelujah. third thing that Isaiah is teaching us is, is that of God's glorious splendor. He displays His immutable nature. His indisputable nature. Pick it up at verse 2. Seraphim stood above Him, each having six wings. With two He covered His face. With two He covered His feet. With two He flew. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. The foundations of the temple shook. 
When's the last time this foundation of this church shook? Well, I don't know that it's ever shook. Well, we ought to shake it. Amen. We ought to shake this foundation. We ought to shake this roof. We ought to shake this building. Because you see, that's the power of God. That's God in us. That's the relationship. That's the overflow from our encounter with God. If you've truly encountered Him, you can't hold it in. Remember when you first fell in love? Oh, you couldn't wait to tell everybody. Everybody. I mean, you want, if you had Facebook then, you'd have got on Facebook and told, hey man, I'm in love. You change your status from single to relationship. I'm in a relationship. Woo! What up with that, Tyrone? You see, hey? How's he in a relationship? And then you see them a little bit, a few, few weeks later, and they go, change the status from relationship to single again. Hey, the good news is, you can never be single again if you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ. God wants to have such a relationship with you that you never feel alone, that you're always with Him. And He's always with you, no matter how dark, dark the hour may be. And in chapter 6 and verse 1, King Uzziah died, but look who's still on the throne. God. God has never left the throne. We can be threatened by an imam in New York that if we don't build a mosque in two blocks from ground zero, that it's all going to break loose in the world. I say, stand up and say, brother, come on. Come on. I got the power of God living with me. 1 John 4, 4, 4, 4 says, he that's in me is greater than he that's in the world. <laughs> come on, brother. You want to burn this? Go ahead. Because you can't burn it out of here. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's time for Christians to stand up and be what we're supposed to be. Stand up, people. Worship your God. Let God flow through you. Let God do it marvelously, abundantly more than you could ever hope or ask. He says right here in Ephesians 3.20 that he's going to do that. Come on. Oh, I don't want people to think I'm nuts and I'm radical. <laughs> Time's running out, folks. Time is running out on us. We've got to stand up. Don't you see it? Don't you see it around you? Two words that we need to take away from this study in these chapter 6, verses 2 through 4. First word is idolatry. To make God other than He is. And we commit adultery in two ways. By worshiping false gods. That's the wrong object. And secondly, by embracing false imaginations about God, and that's the wrong concepts. We're not all gods. There's only one. And we have a Savior named Jesus Christ who's then connected us back to God. And in that connection with God, we have been made joint heirs with Jesus of all eternity. So you're in. You wonder what you're going to get at inheritance? Well, you get all of it. Isn't that fun? I tell you, at death, there is nothing worse than to watch family members fight over what's left. It's ugly. It's absolutely ugly to watch them fight over what's left. Poor Kyla had to get bodyguards to protect her during the funeral because other family members were threatening her, her life. 
Now, how bad is that when you've got at your own mother's funeral that you've got to have bodyguards protect you? Unbelievable. People do some of the strangest things. But you know what? If you've got a relationship with God, you can have, take it. It's yours anyway. We're going to take my debt too? Awesome. <laughs> if you knew you had 30 days to live, wouldn't you run up the tab? I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Come on. Let's see if any of you are listening. Second word is immutable. God never changes. We were, unre- we were unredeemed at birth. We need the capacity to change. It is a gift from God that brings that change. But it would be a nightmare for us if God did change. If you couldn't tell if God was going to be this way today or that way tomorrow. <laughs> Much like us. God is unchangeable. The same today, yesterday, and forever. If he said, I love you, he'll love you today as much as he will tomorrow. And the next day, and the next day, because that's God. And I'm glad he never changes. Two things that that he never changes. Number one is nature. Author John Gossip wrote this. He never acts out of character. A.W. Tozer again said, God cannot change for better. He is never less holy or more holy. He is all the things that we need at all the time that we need. He never changes. Secondly, His attitude toward us never changes. There are occasions when we question if God's love has diminished. Especially when we have offended God. We suppose that He responds to failures in our lives in the same manner that we respond to others who disappoint us. When I'm disappointed, I don't necessarily react the way I should and we think God is going to be the same way when I mess up. The great news is we need to consider the cross. If you've ever doubted the love of God for you, then remember the cross. Has it ever occurred to you that since God cannot change, He loves you just the same today as He did at the time that He hung on the cross? Is that not awesome? John 3.16. Let's read it together. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have Is that an amen? Country singer George Strait sings a song entitled Love Without End, Amen. Tells the story of a young boy coming home from school after having a fight and expecting punishment from his dad. Fully expecting the wrath of his father, he awaits expecting the worst and the father surprises him. Let Let me tell you a secret about a father's love. Straight sings, daddies don't just love their children every now and then. It's a love without end. Amen. I want you to listen to this song and we'll talk about it in just a second. I got sent home from school one day with a shiner on my eye. Fighting was a 
against the rules and it didn't matter why When Dad got home I told that story just like I'd rehearsed Then stood there on those trembling knees and waited for the worst And he said let me tell you a secret about a father's love secret that my daddy said was just between us He said daddies don't just love their children every now and then It's a love without end, amen It's a love without end, amen When I became a father in the spring of 81 there was no doubt that stubborn boy was just like my father's son And when I thought my patience had been tested to the end I took my daddy's secret and I passed it on to him I said, let me tell you a secret about a father's love secret that my daddy said was just between us said daddies don't just love their children every now and then it's a love without end amen it's a love without end amen last night I dreamed I'd died and stood outside those pearly gates when suddenly I realize there must be some mistake if they know half the things I've done they'll never let me in and then somewhere from the other side I heard these words again and they said let me tell you a secret about a father's love A secret that my daddy said Was just between us You see, daddies don't just love their children Every now and then It's a love without end, amen It's a love without end, amen Thing that we can never forget is that God loves us no matter who we are, what we are, what we've done, or anything else. And it no matter because we have a Father that loves us to the very end. Amen. Worship team's going to come help me close. And it ought to be a comfort to us because we might feel like George Strait that when we get to the very end and we get up to the pearly gates and we get to thinking about our life and all the stuff we've done. And I love that phrase. He said, boy, if they knew what I'd done, they weren't going to let me in. But I want you to know one thing. You've got a father that loves you to the very end. Amen. Father, this morning, there may be somebody here that needs to be reassured of your love for them, needs to be reassured of your presence and availability in their life. If they're here today, God, would you 
reveal yourself to them? Would you show them of that love? Would you convince them, prompt them, touch them? And Father, as we begin to deepen our relationship with You, stop being complacent. Stop being on the sideline. That Father, we truly begin to open Your Word every day. Let that Word impact our life. That we truly begin to listen to the messages preached. And Father, that we let Your Spirit prompt us in incredible ways. That we have the courage to open up to receive that. God, that we're not satisfied with where we are, but where we want to be, we want to strive and work hard to get there. Thank you, God, for loving us. If there's somebody here that needs to make a decision of any kind for salvation, to place membership, for just prayer, would you prompt them to do so? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's